The Start. On Demand. On Demand. Happy Hanukkah from your friends at the start. It's Greg Mackling on behalf of a vacationing Brett McGarry and Lorraine McNabb. Matt Leibel, Rabbi Matt, our good friend, joined us today. We'll hear from him on the Start podcast today as he gives us an inside look at Hanukkah and how it's celebrated over the now next seven nights. Bob Irving joining us for a celebration of another sort. Manitoba, yes, Jennifer Jones defeated Team Flurry for the honor of representing Canada at the Olympic Games and women's curling. That happened over the weekend in Saskatoon. We will discuss that as well as the prospects for a Winnipeg Blue Bomber win versus the Saskatchewan Rough Riders this Sunday in the West Final. Yes, we are almost there. The Bombers, Riders, fighting for an opportunity to represent the West in the Grey Cup December 12th in Hamilton. And of course, the Omicron variant of the coronavirus is on Canadian soil. We had a conversation with Cynthia Carr about that. And a big day on Saturday, giving back in our community. That and much else. It's the Start On Demand. Don't you dare go anywhere. Happy Monday morning, if there is such a thing. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. Brett McGarry is off for the next couple days. Loren, how are you doing this morning? Uh, happy Monday is sort of a contradiction sometimes. Yeah, what a weekend. I had a great weekend. I uh, got together with some friends. Um, good conversations were had. Kids had some fun with their friends and with hockey. And then I don't know if I've watched more bizarre and wonderful and wacky sports than I did yesterday in between the kids' games and our games. The curling had me captivated. I was just so pumped for Jennifer Jones. Then I watched some of the CFL semifinals, and man, that game with Munch- or sorry Saskatchewan yesterday, like I... That was fascinating. Then I watched some men's curling. I had a great weekend. You? Yeah, it was a terrific weekend and I uh, was sorry to see it, see it come to an end. Sure. But happy to be with you, of course, this morning. Uh, breaking news on the celebration of Christmas front. And first of all, happy Hanukkah to everyone who's celebrating today and throughout the next seven days now. Hanukkah began last night. We will visit with our friend, uh, now former rabbi, Matt Leibel, later on this morning to, to get our annual sort of update and and one sheet uh, update and and primer on Hanukkah and and uh, learn a little bit about that celebration. But the humbug sign is up and lit on Queen Street, and of course that faces Route 90 in St. James. It is the mark for a lot of people, Loren, of the Christmas season. Yes, and I think I saw so many people. I'd love to know from our listeners if they put the tree up this past weekend I feel like a lot of folks were doing that like everything just got a little bit more festive and colorful in our neighborhood and in some of our drives around the community and city over the past you know 48 hours I usually try to wait until December largely because I feel like our house just sucks the living life out of the tree and in terms of dryness and so it just barely makes it to Christmas if I go too early because I do the natural tree but or we do the natural tree but um I'm really anxious to get it up this year and to start to feel a little bit more all the feelings, you know? I want I want some Hallmark movies on and I want to watch some terrible <laughs> cheesiness and I want to get the lights going up and make another horrible gingerbread house and anything to just sort of get 
get into the spirit if I can. Yeah, I think that's uh, something that a lot of us are feeling right now with December 1st landing on Wednesday. You're going to be sort of, if you get your tree up this weekend, almost a week into December by the time you get it up. So if you didn't get it up over the weekend, what are your plans? 204-780-6868. We're hearing word of a Christmas tree shortage. I've got a short story out of British Columbia that we maybe uh, will be able to play for you later on this morning. We've got some celebrating to do as we're going to award one lucky listener the experience of of a lifetime potentially here Wednesday night the tenors come to town and we've been giving away tickets we gave away tickets all last week and um but we have something a little bit extra special for one lucky listener so you need to be listening because we are going to call you and the contest was to um for the VIP pass to the mm-hmm. tenors, but you had to have a kind of good reason for us, not just to qualify, but then also to win. And so we've got a lucky listener that we're so pumped to be rewarding in a hour and a half so time. We are going to talk curling again at 6.30. Man, I I thought that was just the, like the agony of defeat for Tr- Tracy Fleury and the joy of celebration and winning for Jennifer Jones. And so we're going to get into that at 6.37, Greg, because we were both watching that game. Uh, we're going to talk with Bob Ernie Irving at 8.37 because we now know who we're playing. After it feels like two years of waiting, we now know who we're playing in the Western Final. Of course, it's uh, your friends to the west of us, Greg. <laughs> so we'll visit with Bob Irving. And then we do need to, in our next segment, talk about this new COVID variant because uh, it has landed in Canada. I don't think any of us thought that wasn't going to happen despite any travel restrictions, but the Omicron variant is here. And so now what? What do we need to be watching and waiting for? And I know it's sort of in our circles, the question from people were, was, what's next? You know, like, what sure. do we do with this? What's next? And as we discuss holidays and Hanukkah and Christmas and all the rest, Everyone, I think, is just hoping that for some normalcy this year and when something like this appears on the radar and has different experts talking about its contagiousness and where it can go, you start to think about the future again in terms of what's next. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a fair question and and it is our question of the day. It's up now at cjob.com. Ontario has confirmed, as you said, Loren, its first two cases of the Omicron variant. How concerned are you? Very concerned. It's on my radar or not at all. Those are your three choices at cjob.com for our question of the day. This coming weekend, you mentioned the West Final, the Blue Bombers against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And the Blue Bombers announced last night that they've sold over 28,000 tickets for Sunday's game, including hundreds immediately following the conclusion of last night's game between Calgary and Saskatchewan. So you know what that means. The Green Riders and their fans are coming. So Mm -hmm. the Blue Bombers wanted to sell as many tickets as they could before it was determined who was going to be their opponent because kind of wanted to keep those green guys out of here. Not only on the field, but off. So in the stands, it's already on like Donkey Kong. It sounds as though they're going to be... um, I would guess thousands, Loren, of Rough Rider fans. But that's going to take things up another notch in terms of this matchup on Sunday. And if you're keeping an eye on the weather forecast, it's been pretty steady for the last three, four, five days in terms of the predictions for Sunday. We're going to have a crazy mild week, up to five degrees midweek on Wednesday. Uh, It's holding steady, the prediction, minus eight for Sunday. And that's about where it's been, like I said, for the last three, four, five days. Days since that long-term forecast came out last week. 
Hope you had a great weekend. A shout out to a couple of the members of our radio family. Jeff Forche and I were at Club Regent Event Center. Oh, right. Yeah, we took in the Tuke show. 1,100 uh, fans jam-packed that theater. And, Loren, I don't know if you've been there for a music event or otherwise. I've been there for a couple of, you know, uh, comedy events, probably three or four of those. But the first time I've seen music, the sound is incredible. Tuke was outstanding. It was great to get out and experience some live music. Uh, what would you think of it, uh, Forche? I thought it was great. I had a great time. I love it. I'm glad yeah. you had fun. <laughs> hey, I'm just curious before we move on to talk a little curling here, Greg. I was mentioning Friday for Black Friday, all the emails that were coming into oh, my inbox. Oh, yes. And now I'm being inundated with the Cyber Monday <laughs> no, deals. No, you're which not. From, which, from what I can tell, are the same as the Black Friday oh, deals. Okay. It just feels like it's this really long extension of retail. And, hey, man, I'm all for supporting those that have struggled in the last year. But sure. I need to see a better deal yeah, give me, like, give than me the something. one from before. You know, It has to be different. I'm opening up my personal email now. I hadn't been in there at all today, but uh, now I see, yes, yeah, Cyber Monday. Yeah, it, it looks like a replication of things we saw on Friday. So it was a great weekend. Uh, shout out to uh, our friends in Tuke. And I had somebody echo the sentiment yesterday that was at the show. You know, those cover tunes that they do, which is basically everything except a couple originals they did on a Saturday night, they sound better than the originals. And that's how good Todd and Fitzy and, and the rest of the guys are. So shout out to them. You had a busy weekend, Loren. You had hockey and such all over Southern Manitoba, it seemed. Yeah, well, we get a lot of places with two kids playing. We didn't have too many games, just a, just a couple of them. So that was nice because it allowed us to uh, watch the kids and participate in activities with them, but I also got to squeeze in some curling, which I loved yesterday. I watched the whole women's final, and then when I got home from my own, I played hockey last night with a group of girls in St. Adolph, and then got home and watched the last three ends, the 8th, ninth, and 10th for the men, so I just felt, I felt like a sports reporter yesterday. Uh, it was something else. It was a great week of curling, and uh, not only did uh, the Twin Towers prevail in their match in Selkirk yesterday, uh, it, was, it was the culmination of that beyond entertaining week for curling fans as our country's Olympic men's and women's teams, you mentioned at Loren, crowned in the finals of the Olympic trials in Saskatoon and yesterday afternoon. Drama isn't even a big enough word to describe what we witness as Winnipeg's Jennifer Jones St. Vitel rink captured curling glory once again, securing a berth at the Beijing Winter Games in February. First time I won without my dad. Sorry. That's all I thought about. That's all I thought about is he would have been so proud and, and he just loved O Canada. It just made me think of him. My eye wouldn't stop watering all week and my dad had this watery eye, so I felt like he was with me. And uh, yeah, just that's why I was so emotional. I just I love him so much and I just wish he could have been here. Thank you. She was extremely emotional yesterday. It was just so beautiful to watch just the naturalness of that moment as she won and then her reaction afterwards. But Jones, of course, defeated Manitoba rink Tracy Fleury there from East St. Paul in the 6-5 nail-biter that saw Jones 
rolls slightly too far in the 10th, forcing an extra end. And actually, Jones rolled the dice in the 9th to uh, give Fleury the steal so that she could come home with the hammer in the 10th. Right. And then her gamble didn't quite pay off, as you mentioned, Greg, because that rock rolled too far. So then there was an extra end, which has never before happened in Olympic trials history. Then Fleury rubbed a guard on her final throw in that extra end to then give Jones that steal of one and the win. She, of course, Jennifer Jones and her wink back in 2014. They won Olympic gold. They'll be joined in Beijing by lead Don, or she'll be joined by her lead Don McEwen, second Jocelyn Peterman, third Caitlin Laws, and of course, alternate Lisa Weigel. And women's curling at the games gets underway on February 10th. But man, the back and forth of that game had my heart beating and I just kept going, no! And then the next thing you're like, no! And I couldn't decide who I wanted to win, but man, it was a beautiful thing to see Jones and her team so happy. Yeah, I was at the curling rink in Selkirk, so there was probably four or five dozen curling you know diehards watching that game and the emotion the up and down the roller coaster that was that match was incredible friday night in the tiebreaker with manitoba's uh, gimley's carrie anerson and the drama in that match it was absolutely uh, wonderful now on the men's side brad gushu will return to the olympic games for the second time the first was in 2006 and i have a long memory on a lot of stuff loren so you'll forgive me if we don't discuss how gushu she won and who he defeated to get there almost 16 years ago. Let's focus on last night. It was Northern Ontario's Brad Jacobs that fell to Gushu. Uh, they fell one win short of their Olympic dream in the loss to Gushu's Newfoundland-based rink. Quite the week for the sport of curling. And if you don't watch the sport, what's stopping you? Like the drama of the game is at times unparalleled in my mind. It's the only sport where you get to hear the athletes that are participating live on mic throughout the entire thing, the pure emotion, the ups and downs are really, in my mind, Loren, sport exemplified, and the sportsmanship is also exceptional. Yeah, it was because of those mics, right? So you, first of all, you hear their strategy, you hear the reaction, you hear them try not to swear or, you know, like try to hold it all in. Jennifer Jones had nerves of steel as she made an amazing draw on that extra end to help her team to success. And then Gushu last night after winning, after Jacobs basically, you know, didn't, not miss, well, he missed a shot and that allowed Gushu to get the steal and as his, as he was watching it unfold in front of him, he drops his broom. His teammates come in for a hug. They're trying to control themselves because they're screaming and they're excited. And he says, okay, guys, guys, hang on, hang on. And then he apologizes to Jacob's rink because he wants to shake their hands first and say, good, great game. It was a great game. And so the sportsmanship displayed there to control your own excitement to be going to the Olympics after almost 16 years and then apologizing, right, to say, sorry, I, I know I should be taking your hand right now. I just, I love, it was all very Canadian. I love the entire thing. I, I honestly, for my money on a weekend, especially on a Sunday when you're chilling and enjoying yourself, I don't think there's anything better. Yeah, and you know, the Jones and Fleury rinks uh, embraced before the Jones rink did their celebration as well. It's a hallmark of the sport. I think it's wonderful. It was an incredible comeback. <laughs> Jeff Braun is here. Jeff Forche is here. And I think for the first time we can wish Cam Poitras happy Hanukkah. Well, thank you very much. Shouldn't you, shouldn't you be off this week? Or well, that's it? not how it works. No, it's, 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 
uh, it's a fun holiday. It's not like it's not like Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah or anything like that. But uh, yeah, no, I filled up on vodkas yesterday, so it was pretty sweet. Fantastic. Yeah. So Cam, we're talking uh, comebacks in light of what Jennifer Jones did yesterday. She she did her best, I guess you could argue, to to give it away. But then the comeback was something special. It was epic. Oh. Something that curling fans, sports fans in this country, I think, will remember for a long time. Yeah, it was freaking awesome. I thought. I mean, it, it was it was it had everything. Thing. It was tense. It was pressure filled. And man, I, you know, I, it was the only game I've, and because I'm, you know, I went to Bird's Hill Elementary, went to Robert Andrews and stuff like that. So I was going for Tracy Fleury for, and I was the only time I've ever gone against Jennifer Jones, but really happy for her, of course. And she's going to do a fantastic job representing us at the Olympics. But uh, it, whoever won, it was going to be, it was good. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife reminded me. You know, Jennifer Jones is from East St. Paul originally, too. Oh, so. is she? Wow. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that. So it's a win-win. Yeah, it is a win-win. Yeah. So uh, greatest comeback for you in your oh, mind? Wow, I got to go for the Winnipeg Jets. The greatest comeback of all time. I mean, leaving in '96 and coming back, and and uh, you know, and, and and in those last couple of years, and I, I also honorable mention the Tiger Woods winning the Masters in 2019. But uh, man, that was. That was just the ultimate. I mean, Greg, you know this better. I mean, you're you're the one who I was a very young man when they left. Uh, very young man. I was a, basically a toddler. Uh, well, I was a little older than that, but I was on my way to kindergarten. But uh, you know, I remember my 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 family being so crushed when they left and the Save the Jets campaign and all that stuff. And my family basically signed off the NHL for that all those years. Like my house was a Jets house. We never took another team. We basically stopped watching. We'd watch the playoffs and stuff like that. But we're a Jets house always have been. And uh, yeah, it was the best. Loren, I confess to you that uh, if a Manitoba team isn't participating in any of these curling championships, I tune it out. Not because I don't love the sport, but I can't think about anything else other than the Manitoba team that didn't make it. Greg, me too. 100%. <laughs> like the world championships, like Carrie Anderson. I was in it Carrie Anderson was playing, but if it's not Manitoba, I'm... I, admittingly, I also kind of check out too. So, what about what's the comeback of uh, lifetime for you, McNabb? Well, that's so funny that you say that because I actually will watch. If you sell me on a story, like I am all in. So I can think back to the Olympics uh, in 92. You know, I think I was 15, 14 years old and I'm suddenly cheering for Silicon Laman and rowing when I never had before. Didn't, don't know a thing about the sport, still don't. But because she had shattered her leg in a boating accident, she got was told she'd never row again. And there she was, like making her way to the top of the podium. You get someone selling you the story and you find yourself cheering for the oddest things. Mario Lemieux, we're... My husband's a big fan of him and so watched his career a lot over the years just with the fact that, you know, he had back problems and the herniated disc and then cancer uh, and then cancer again. And, you know, the things that he did in his life to come oh, back and be spectacular on the ice. That comeback, that comeback game, I think it was against Toronto and he scores the goal in That's his first right. game back, in maybe his first, his first shift. Right. And you're thinking to yourself and then he and that kept happening to him, right? Like when he was on the ice, he was a star in and out of injury, in and out of cancer. I thought that was incredible. And I also can if I'm ever having a low day, I will queue up Melissa Etheridge, which I'm not really a fan of, but I not, I like her. I just never really listened to her a ton. But I remember watching the Grammys in 2005. She had just uh, done finished breast cancer treatment and she comes on the stage, heads shaved. She's bald from her treatment and she does a version of Janis Joplin's Piece of My Heart. And the crowd just was so into her because she there she is, like, you know, doing her thing after beating the odds and I just any you you give me a story man I am all in Jeff Braun 
Uh, mine's not sports related, uh, unsurprisingly. I'm going to something from the movies, and it's the the career of Mr. Tom Hanks, one of the greatest actors of all time. Now, in 1988, he was in the movie Big, and he got a Best Actor nomination at the Oscars for that one. He's on top of the world, and then after that, he had a string of uh, miserable misfires, things like Turner and Hooch and Joe versus the Volcano oh, and yes. the Bonfire of the Vanities, which is one of the biggest right. flops of all time. And so he's, you know, he's getting worried about his career. He's like, I had that Oscar nomination, but that's five movies ago at that point. So he asks his uh, big director friend, Penny Marshall, you got something for me in your new movie? She's like, yeah, I got something for you. It's not the lead, though. He's like, I don't care. I'll take a good supporting role in a good movie. And that movie turned out to be a league of their own. And it set off his run in the 90s, which is just unparalleled. These are the movies he put out after a league of their own. Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story, That Thing You Do, which he also wrote and directed, Saving Private Ryan, You've Got Mail, Toy Story 2, The Green Mile, wow. and Castaway. Holy All in the decade holy following. Holy moly. Wow. <laughs> <So>. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is incredible. Good, really good point. You know, he's come a long way from Bosom Buddies, eh, Bron? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like those old those old 80s movies, those that were bombed, like The Burbs was in there. I love that movie. And I like Turner and Hooch. I love Turner and Hooch as well, and they wouldn't make that today. I mean, there is a TV show version yeah. of it on Disney, but uh, spoilers for Turner and Hooch, they kill the dog at the end of that movie. I don't think they would do that today. Uh, what okay. about Bachelor Party? Oh, that was, they that... kill the dog at the end of that, too? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> that's a fun party. That's, a, that's a fun movie. One. Good party, too. We have to talk about early data on the Omicron COVID-19 variant. It shows an increased potential for transmissibility, but there is still a lot to consider when it comes to assessing whether or not this new variant poses a serious problem, Loren. So as we've been sharing with you, of course, Ontario identified its first two cases yesterday. That's just days after the federal government announced a travel ban from South Africa and neighboring countries. Epidemiologist Cynthia Carr joins us now. Good morning, Cynthia. Good morning. I'm sure this is a question you've been asked and will continue to be asked over and over again. But what should we be watching for here? Just how should we be concerned when they talk about, you know, this, quote, potential increased potential for transmissibility? I think, Loren, we really need to focus on what you just said twice, which is potential. You know, this was only first reported to the World Health Organization on November 24th based on a sample from November 9th. Um, so, yes, uh, the virus has had time to spread, um, but that has been the case with every variant. So we shouldn't panic. You know, by the time we hear about it, it's already in other countries. That's the, the way um, testing works and genomic sequencing takes time. So um, absolutely, when we talk about time, we talk about data and not just sort of conjecture or, or guessing. Absolutely, due to the... Uh, the mutations and the changes, there's potential uh, for increased spread, but we need uh, to give the scientists, you know, a good week or two time uh, to do some testing to see uh, how well the uh, uh, vaccine can, uh, you know, the, the antibodies can neutralize uh, this new version of the virus. So in the meantime, continue with our public health measures. Cynthia, what sort of char characteristics of this variant will scientists, will researchers be looking at in terms of its either susceptibility to the virus or its ability to dance around or sidestep the uh, effectiveness of the various vaccines that we've developed so far? 
Right. So, you know, we're hearing a lot about there's, you know, 30 mutations or large numbers of mutations. Many of those mutations may mean nothing. It's like, you know, you changed your shirt from yellow to blue. Uh, it's a change, but it doesn't change anything about what you can do. So looking at, again, what are the most important things, what would they would be, does it make you sicker? Does it help you evade immunity? Does it impact any treatments that we have now? Does it impact any testing and the ability to find it? Um, so those are the important things that will be looked at. Uh, and certainly uh, increased transmissibility uh, is something we want to shut down or know about because that creates risk. Uh, you know, regardless of if in and of itself it's more virulent, if it's more transmissible, uh, it, you know, we'll eventually find somebody who could become very sick. 20 months ago, Cynthia, we had all sorts of travel bans at the start of this pandemic because there was no vaccine on the table. There is now. Mm-hmm. And again, as you point out, we're trying to figure out how effective it might be against this new variant. But in the meantime, you know, countries like South Africa that were banned, uh, travel bans were put in place from Canada, US, UK, right? Uh, surrounding countries in South, in Africa are saying, hang on, the travel ban doesn't make sense. What we also need is vaccines. Does this highlight sort of that inequity there that a lot of these, you know, for lack of a better term, developed nations went ahead and rolled out huge vaccine programs, but there's big parts of the world that are still looking to get its people the dose. It's a hugely important point and what we've been saying over and over again. If we do not have equitable vaccine distribution, we cannot get on top of this. You know, we wouldn't be in a pandemic if we were not a highly interconnected world. When we leave millions and millions of people unprotected, uh, you know, Africa is a continent of 54 countries, over a billion people huge disparity in vaccine coverage. Even in their best countries, it's somewhere around one in five people being vaccinated. We hear that, you know, this probably uh, originated uh, within, a, uh, you know, an area where there's very low uh, vaccine coverage. So um, this is what happens when we say we are not protected until uh, everyone is protected. That's not just a trite saying, that's science. How long before we get a good sense of all these things, Cynthia? Is it, is it, is it a week? Is it a couple of weeks? It, I would say for sure it's two weeks. You know, it takes time. There's going to have to be testing, whether it be on animals, on, you know, within uh, the lab setting, etc. cetera, uh, again, to test. Uh, the antibody response and the immune response overall to be uh, challenged uh, with this new version of the virus. Um, And we'll see in the real world as we go along, uh, we'll look at data there too to see if that, um, you know, that momentum that's in very specific regions right now in Southern Africa, uh, does that continue throughout the world or will we see, you know, a a smaller number of one-off cases that we still need to pay attention to. So, uh, you know, real world data, Data and lab data uh, take time, so let's give it a week or two. But again, uh, get vaccinated if you're not. Get your booster if you're eligible. Uh, continue wearing those well-fitted masks. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, uh, and, and try not to get too anxious, too panicky, uh, or to uh, feel too much despair. We have no way to say right now that our vaccine is not going to hold up. Um, so just keep doing what we're doing. Founder of Epi Research, epidemiologist, frequent contributor here on 680 CJOB. We appreciate you very much, Cynthia Carr. You're very welcome. Winnipeg Blue Bombers 
now know who their opponent will be next Sunday at IG Field in the West Final. It's a rematch of last year's West Final held at Mosaic Stadium in Regina and a rematch, Loren, of the last West Final played in this province 1972 at Old Winnipeg Stadium. In fact, Bob, if I'm not mistaken, the men in green have won the past two playoff games they've played in Winnipeg, the 72 West Final and the 2002 West Semifinal. All right, you are, Mr. Mackling. Uh, that uh, 72 game, <clears throat> I remember well, uh, and so do I remember the other one quite well, too. So the Bombers, of course, uh, the current Bombers don't know anything about that and probably won't hear anything about it unless they uh, are paying attention to the media, and I can assure you that this week they'll be trying not to do that. So, <laughs> yes, uh, the Bombers have a chance to, uh, well, look, it's a promoter's dream here now, Saskatchewan coming in. Calgary would have been fine. But uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are the, you know, our number one rival in terms of football. And I know ticket sales have spiked yesterday as soon as Saskatchewan won that game. They're over 28,000 now. And, uh, boy, it looks like 30 at least. And who knows, maybe they'll come close to selling it out. I was watching, you know, both the semifinals yesterday and you're, you know, the one in the East just was for interest. But as I watched Calgary and Rough Riders yesterday, Bob, I was just trying to think, you know, what is the team? Is there a team they prefer playing or is there a team they prefer beating? You know, like what part of the game are they watching for when it comes to how they're going to take on that team come Sunday? Did you have a favorite that you were hoping to see the Bombers take on? I mean, the Rough Riders, of course, has that rivalry, but when it comes to who we have the best shot at beating, I think that's the question everybody wants answered. Well, I think they have a best shot at beating Saskatchewan. I felt that all along. The Bombers had two of their toughest games this year, Loren, against Calgary Mm -hmm. uh, early in the season, and then they lost that final regular season game in Calgary, and it was Pretty hard to put a lot of stock into that outcome, but the Stampeders played them tough. Uh, Winnipeg beat Saskatchewan twice and beat them handily at Mosaic Stadium and back here at IG Field. So from my perspective, the team, and, I, and the Bombers would never say this, but my suspicion is that uh, they would prefer to play Saskatchewan, and they're going to get their way. And it was a heck of a game yesterday in Regina. It went to overtime. It was sort of a classic CFL playoff game, and uh, Rennie Paredes, the field goal kicker for Calgary, man, oh, man, who would have bet that he'd missed three field goals? He's been one of the best field goal kickers in the history of the league. He made 44 of 48 this season, but he missed three of five, including one in overtime. Cody Fajardo, the Saskatchewan quarterback, uh, led them on a very important drive late in the game, but he also threw four interceptions, four picks, and he said after the game, if you told me that I could throw four picks and we'd win this game. I'd have said, you're crazy. So it was a very interesting game yesterday in Regina, and it sets up uh, just a great, great match here next Sunday in the West Final. Yeah, Fajardo only 189 yards passing yesterday, 22 of 33. Bo Levi Mitchell had his struggles for the Stampeders as well yesterday. As the game wore on, I thought uh, Bo Levi was the better of the two quarterbacks, but timing is everything in sports, Bob. Well, and the one thing Fajardo can do, Greg, and this will be something the Bombers focus on uh, big time for Sunday, is he can run. He, he ra- rushed for 89 yards on 10 carries. Uh, his passing efficiency was not very good, and they seemed reluctant to throw the ball downfield. All of their passes were short passes. 
but Fajardo can take off and run, and he's uh, you know he's really hurt the Bombers and burned them more than once in the games they've played. Not so much this year, but in, in you know in 2019 with his running. So uh, the Bombers will be very keeping a very close eye on that as the Rough Riders come in here. Saskatchewan is a real solid defense. Uh, their offense isn't. Uh, I don't think it's anything that would scare you. But if Fajardo can break, contain, and take off, uh, he can certainly hurt you. So. Yeah, once again, it's an intriguing matchup. The Bombers are going to be heavily favored because of their two regular season wins over Saskatchewan, because they finished first, because the game is here on a betting line. My guess is they'll be anywhere from 8 to to 10, maybe even more point favorites. Uh, But, of course, none of that matters when they get set to play the game on Sunday afternoon. No, everything's reset as of now, Bob. So we now know who they're facing on Sunday. And just of all the things that you got to watch on the weekend, it was an exciting Western semifinal. But, man, can we just touch on the curling for a bit? Because that was tense for both the men and women right to the end. And, of course, uh, Jennifer Jones, Winnipeg's own, coming through in the clutch or coming through with the steel, at least. Yeah, we still uh, count Jennifer as ours, even though she's lived in southern Ontario for a while. But, yeah, I watched the end of that game. Uh, and she missed a shot in the 10th, and Jones did to win the game that she'd make sort of nine times out of 10. And I think it reflects the pressure that they must have felt. And then in the extra end, Tracy Fleury had a, uh, you know, not a real difficult shot. It wasn't easy, but one she'd make most times uh, to win the game, and she wrecked on a guard. And uh, as I was watching, I, I thought, gee, the, the pressure and tension, I mean, this is a chance to go to the Olympics. This isn't a Grand Slam event or you know, the local club Bonspiel event where, you, you know, you've got to make a shot to win a game. This is a once in four years chance to go to the Olympics. And so the pressure that both those skips must have felt uh, had to be absolutely onerous. And uh, uh, Jennifer Jones, uh, well, she came through and won again. She's off to the Olympics again. She's had a phenomenal career, as we all know. And at age 46, uh, who would have thought she'd be going back one more time? But she is. She has a terrific team, as everybody knows. And and they came through. Yeah, Caitlin Laws, Russ Howard said it yesterday. He thinks she is the best curler on, on the planet right now, individually. And uh, Cheryl Bernard made an interesting point when uh, watching uh, both Jones and Flurry in that extra end, saying that the most critical thing is to not think about what's on the line and that's yeah, right and that's that that's the story of curling that's the story of golf and individual sports like that when the pressure is on not to think about what's on the line when i address the ball or when i or settle down into the hack hey bob oh, we'd like to ask you real quick about the jets they break their winless streak at four on saturday night certainly wasn't picture perfect i would say call kyle connor hellebuck was their best player on saturday uh yeah. What do you think we learned about the Jets Saturday? And does it all go out the window if they lose to last place Arizona tonight? Well, they can't afford to lose tonight because that's another setback for them. I say can't afford to lose. That would certainly not be a good sign. But look, they were playing their third game in four nights when they played in Calgary against a Flames team that's that's very good, having an outstanding season. They get down 2 nothing early in the game, Greg. And I'm sure fans are going, oh, my God, here we go again. I suspect Paul Maurice might have been thinking that. But they came back and won the game. Hellebuck was terrific. They scored four goals. They've been struggling scoring. Blake Wheeler had a couple of assists. I thought he played very well. I think it was a great sign for the Jets. And it tells us what we have known since the start of the season. This is a very good team. 
yeah, they went through a real tough period, but it's a very good team, and maybe this starts them on a real streak now. We'll find out tonight when they play a team that they should beat here at home. If you ever, you know, we say should beat, never works that way in sports, but they should. But that was a very key win, and, and when you heard Paul Maurice talk about it after the game, man, oh, man, he sounded like the most relieved man on the planet because when you get into one of these downward spirals, you got to put the brakes on them because it can go from bad to worse. And I think it was a significant victory for the Jets. We'll see if they can follow it up tonight. All right, 6.30 is face-off, which means no coaches show tonight. Right. Preempted. That means you'll take an extra day to get ready for the coaches show uh, tomorrow night, Bob, 7 to 8 with uh, Mike O'Shea. Yeah, that'll be fun to talk to Mike about playing Saskatchewan now. Last week, uh, you know, he wasn't going to speculate very much on who they might play, <laughs> but we could ask him lots of questions about playing the Riders tomorrow night. All right, Bob. Thank you for this, as always. We appreciate your insight. Have yourself a terrific day, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you tomorrow night. Okay, you guys too. Today we were asking you the question about comebacks, your best comeback story. And uh, we were talking with Bob Irving earlier, Loren, about the fact that, you know, the Bombers saw an uptick in sales right after that West semifinal. We don't want to see too many uh, Saskatchewan Rough Rider fans there. Vic says, I'm not worried. They can't even fill their own stadium. A little no. bit of a shot at the smallish crowd at Mosaic Stadium yesterday in Regina. No, it certainly wasn't a sellout there, but we want to bring a sellout here. So we're giving away tickets. Our question was a story of a greatest comeback, and it could have been sports. We had people writing in about Tom Brady. We talked about Milt Steele, uh, his touchdown, the Bombers' comebacks of their own that they've had, the Jets coming back. That was highlighted by Cam Poitras. Kristen said, I'd like to nominate my pop as comeback queen. At this time last year, her original family knew they couldn't keep her, but but the shelters by then were kill facilities full of problem dogs like her. Instead of taking the easy route, they found her a ride halfway across the continent and over the border. Here she is a year later, a perfect pup, living it up in her new home and waiting for Santa to reward her. And a great picture came with Kristen Stock. I love that story. Absolutely beautiful story. Somebody mentioned the United States, the comeback of the last century in the space race against the sure. Soviets. Lots of people mentioning Canada, Soviet Union, and of course the summits series Canada was down by three games they won three straight games in Moscow all sorts of great stories coming in and Scott says this Elvis 68 came back special when he returned after being in the army a lot had changed in the music business and the music scene in the 50s and he came back strong or stronger than ever before really good point Scott thanks for sharing that with us but Linda and it wasn't was it even really difficult for us to decide Linda was our winner this morning, as great as all the stories we received were? Well, Linda's story is about a real moment of sadness in her family and in her life, but that was accompanied by a moment of joy. And that's often how life goes, right? And so Linda texted to say in July of 91, my mom was killed in a car accident in Budapest. My son was 14 months old and still not walking on his own. It took some time and some cutting through red tape before my dad was able to return here along with my mom. We made a sad family group as we went to the airport to meet my dad. When my son spotted his grandpa coming off the escalator, he unsteadily walked over to him. His first independent walk. A happy moment during a tragic comeback. Outstanding. Thank you for this, Linda. You are our winner today. We will reach out via text. (music) 
Thanks for joining us on this Monday morning. It was a busy weekend on many fronts. Sports right at the top of the list for many folks. Uh, Cleaning up those windrows after the city plows, of course, on the agenda for many others in the city of Winnipeg. And Loren, it began last night and continues for seven more nights of celebration. We are speaking of Hanukkah. So we're so pleased to bring on right now a broadcaster, a huge baseball fan, and of course our friend Matt Leibel. We want to wish happy Hanukkah to you, Matt. But I have you in as rabbi, but it's former rabbi. But once a rabbi, always a rabbi? That's what the other rabbis in town tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning to both of you. Good I'm no morning. longer affiliated with a uh, with a synagogue, but uh, based on the fact that I have been very, very busy with weddings and funerals and right. Hanukkah-related events, I think I am still a working rabbi. At least okay, good. My wife, my wife complains that I was supposed to, quote-unquote, <laughs> retire, and I'm working more than I did before. So, yeah, I, I'm once a rabbi, I was a rabbi. I'll go with that, for sure. It's good to hear you're busy. Good to hear that celebrations are happening. And, yes, sometimes they are in the form of humor, funerals, but celebrations of lives, uh, celebrations for weddings. And then, of course, here we are with Hanukkah, and, and at least we're not doing this one virtually this year. So uh, what sort of is on the agenda? Set the table for us, if you will, in terms of how the next uh, few nights would go. Well, I can't speak for every other family. I can kind of only speak for mine. But the thing about Hanukkah is that it has always been really centered around the home and especially an immediate family and sometimes your extended family. At some point during the, the week plus, the eight, the eight days, eight nights of Hanukkah, people would usually have at least one big get together with their extended family, their friends. That, I mean, every family is making their decisions with vaccinations and masks and distancing and how to do that properly. But as for like an immediate family, that's kind of where Hanukkah begins. And that's where Hanukkah kind of ends. It's like it thrives with the fact that you've got a lot of things going on in homes from lighting candles every night to spinning dreidels to eating foods like latkes and jelly donuts, which we call sufganiyot, the Hebrew word. There's a lot of things that you can do in your home. So no, you do not need it to be a virtual celebration. No virtual latke eating here. You can actually enjoy the real thing. Well, give us an idea also of of some of the food and and does the different food have a representation? Does it symbolize anything? And and does the does the menu change depending on the on the night here? Help us uh, understand a little bit more uh, above a surface level uh, comprehension of Hanukkah, if you wouldn't mind, Matt. Yeah, for sure, no problem, Greg. The uh, I think within different parts of the world there are different traditions largely for for my family and a lot of jewish people who come from eastern european descent we call them ashkenazic jews um the big the two big foods associated with hanukkah are uh, potato latkes so potato pancakes fried in oil and then these jelly donuts that i was mentioning the sufgani also fried in oil oil is the key that's where the symbolism if you back up a step the whole story of hanukkah that happened 2000 years ago it first had a military aspect, a, a battle, a revolution, the Maccabees. People have heard about the Maccabees. They led a revolt against their oppressors. They'd been kicked out of their temple for a few years. They recaptured their temple, rededicated their temple. That's what the word Hanukkah means, to dedicate. So they rededicated their temple. That was the first kind of miracle. But then the second, even bigger miracle, so the story goes, is that they went to go light the menorah, the huge Uh, seven-branched candelabra that was in the temple that hadn't been lit. They used oil back in the day, and they couldn't find any oil. They found this one little vat of oil. It was only going to last one day. They were panicking. Should we light it? Should we not light it? They lit it anyway, and it burned for eight 
days and eight nights. That's why we, all these years later, have an eight-day, eight-night celebration of Hanukkah. And some people use oil in their menorahs, but most people use candles. And every night you add an extra candle. So last night, everybody had one candle. Tonight, two. Tomorrow, three. You get the idea. And so the oil is really, really a big part of the miracle. So it developed over time that potato latkes fried in oil, jelly donuts fried in oil, anything you can fry in oil. The only problem here is these are like side dishes and desserts. There's no like <laughs> main, there's, there isn't like a Hanukkah, like a main thing, you know, it's not like a guarantee, like a turkey or a chicken or a brisket. Or I was reading that, you know, hundreds of years ago, they used to, used to eat goose because of the time of year and things like that. So um, the, it's not enough. I have this debate with people all the time. Are latkes a meal? No. French fries <laughs> yeah. are not a meal. Rice is not a meal. You cannot just eat latkes for eight you straight can. nights. Well, not if you don't want it to come back and haunt you by the next time. I wanted, You talked about just how it begins with family, uh, Rabbi Matt, and just the message that you try to share. I'm curious, in your own family, then in your own home, what's sort of what you want your loved ones to hear, but sort of the bigger world to hear during this week? Well, it's a great, it's a great question, Loren. Like the first part is the message for everybody is that Hanukkah is a, is a celebration of miracles of the impossible becoming possible, but also good triumphing over evil light triumphing over darkness. I mean, this is, it's not an accident that at the time of the year when the days are the shortest and it gets dark super early that we keep adding to the light, we keep adding candles, and that by the end of the of the eight days, eight nights, we've got this full menorah, right? There's a lot of symbolism in there. It's a celebration of hope. It's a holiday of hope, which everybody can use at this time of year. In my specific family, it's even more exciting these days because my wife, Heather, and I, we have two sons. One's turning three, one's turning one. So especially for the almost three-year-old, like this is something that we can really now kind of mm-hmm. share with him and so watching his face light up when we put the candles in giving an opportunity for him to put the candles in watching him as the light kind of flickers and we sing the blessings and he kind of tries to sing and mumble along with us and he grabs the dreidels and he enjoys the latkes to me that's a new level of Hanukkah experience on a personal level that i've never really had a chance to experience before because now i feel like I'm, I'm doing what my parents did for my sister and for me, getting to share it and getting to inspire us. And, and hopefully years from now, our boys will be having Hanukkah in their own homes. And it all starts with us right now. So I'm kind of aware of that at the same time. So a personal message, but also a greater message all wrapped up in the same holiday. It's great. Yeah, it's a terrific message. Very hopeful for, for all of us, no matter how we celebrate what uh, religion we observe or don't observe. Now, we, we have a saying here, bear with me here, Matt, that uh, all discussions, all quotes, all news stories, all conversations can tie back to a Simpsons, Seinfeld, or Friends episode. Can you confirm <laughs> or deny the existence of the ho- holiday armadillo for us? Okay, so that's your friend's reference, right? I'm Correct. glad that you didn't. Uh, my Simpsons would have been maybe a little yeah. bit rusty because I'm in and out. Seinfeld, I've got you up and down. Of course, the best Seinfeld reference. There wasn't a Hanukkah episode, but there was an episode where Kramer is making food for a Jewish <laughs> singles night, and he declares these latkes are going like hotcakes. <laughs> that, of course, is a great line. Right. But as far as the holiday armadillo goes, I give... Ross Geller, a a big thumbs up on trying to work with the costume he was stuck with and inspire his son. Unfortunately, it's completely made up. Uh, There's never been any archaeological evidence to suggest that there were armadillos in the time 
of the Maccabees when they were dedicating the temple 2,000 years ago, at least uh, not in that part of the world. So uh, it's a bit of a stretch, just a bit. These are the questions you went to school for, right, Matt? This is what you needed to learn is to answer the armadillo (laughs) questions, yes? Yeah, it was the bonus question at the end of the Hanukkah exam was to discuss the appropriateness of the armadillo being chosen in Friends. Yes, but after the Maccabees and the Menorah and the Lakas, right. it wouldn't have been a complete exam to test our knowledge if, if there wasn't a reference to the holiday right. armadillo. After the hope right. and the oil and the Lakas and the food, this is what we want to get to. But I do want to say, how do we wish Happy Hanukkah? If we want to do it in Hebrew, what's the way to do it? Well, honestly, I would stick to Happy Hanukkah because one of the tricks with Hebrew, though Greg really does have the pronunciation down, uh, a holiday in Hebrew is a chag. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, then, and then a happy, like we would say happy holiday or happy holidays, is sameach. So you really have to work that ch sound on both fronts. But if you can say chag sameach, that works for Hanukkah for sure. It works for all Jewish holidays. And then if you're really fancy, you can throw Hanukkah in the middle and you can say chag Hanukkah. Or you can say Happy Hanukkah. The sentiment is really all that matters. Don't get tripped up on the words. Well, Matt, I've made this promise to you in the past, and and this is a solemn oath on air this morning with a rabbi, no less. We're going to make sure that we bring you on the air with us throughout the year, uh, not just around Jewish celebrations and holidays for you to ed- for you to educate us on the existence or non-existence of certain aspects of these celebrations, but but certainly about other things because you're an absolute uh, joy to visit with uh, on any topic. So we appreciate you making time for us today and and happy Hanukkah to you and your family, you and your boys, and uh, hope you have a a wonderful uh, few days here. Thank you so much. It's great to chat with both of you. And maybe between now and next year, we can see how many of the uh, lines in Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song we can recite off the top of our head. That could be our challenge uh, between now and then. But thanks for the opportunity and uh, happy holidays to, to you, your families, and everybody listening. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.